From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Washington Watch. Coming up, the attacks are back. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called out the left this morning as they appear to be resurrecting their attacks on the faith of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Indiana Senator Todd Young is here with the latest on the confirmation hearing that begins next week in just a moment. And Midlanders don't do well or put up well with people who make threats, literally terrorist threats against our citizens. That was the mayor of Midland, Texas, Patrick Payton. The mayor held a press conference on uh, Monday responding to what he called Chinese Communist Party agitators targeting opponents of the Communist Party here in the United States. He joins us with more in just a moment. And we are already hearing about how the presidential campaigns are lawyering up in preparation for post-election litigation. What are the various scenarios that the country could be facing on the morning of November the 4th? Hans von Spakowski of the Heritage Foundation is here to detail that. And remember the courageous Kentucky clerk of court, Kim Davis? Uh, Remember, I visited her in jail when she said her Christian faith would not allow her to issue a a same-sex wedding license. Well, she was later sued by the same-sex couple, and she appealed to the Supreme Court, and they declined to hear her case earlier this week. But while the case was not taken up by the court, two justices issued a statement that has the left worked up into a frenzy. What did those two justices say, and why does it matter? Editor-in-chief of CNSNews.com is here with that answer. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it is uh, at T. Perkins. Let me remind you, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., Pray Vote Stand. That would be tonight. Pray Vote Stand. Uh, Tune in, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, We'll be talking about what's the agenda that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have for education if they were to prevail in the election. It will be shocking. Join us tonight at 8 p.m. Also, let me remind you, coming up this next Sunday from California, Freedom Sunday. It'll be uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be broadcasting live from Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, freedomsunday2020.com is the website. All right, here we go again. You recall the attack by Senator Dianne Feinstein on Judge Amy Coney Barrett during her confirmation to the Seventh Circuit. When you read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. Now, we've talked about that uh, many, many times. In fact, we're probably going to wear out the, uh, uh, the tape on that. But we don't have tape. It's actually digital. But that's a, it's a saying. Um, That was Dianne Feinstein talking about her Catholic faith, the fact that uh, it's evident in her life. Well, that's starting again. In this morning, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, uh, took the left to task on this, uh, saying that, uh, look, if you want to go down this path, you are uh, you're going down the wrong path. In fact, he said these euphemisms fool no one. United States senators are suggesting that Judge Barrett is too Christian or the wrong kind of Christian to be a good judge. He goes on to say that it is this is the definition of discrimination to assert that Justice Barrett's particular faith makes her uniquely unqualified for this 
promotion. Joining me now to talk more about this confirmation process that will begin in earnest next week is Indiana Senator Todd Young. Senator, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, Tony, thanks for having me on. All right. Um, you know, we, a lot of people were wondering, was the left going to go after her faith? I think the, uh, the Senate Majority Leader calling him out this morning uh, in a statement that he released suggests that, um, you know, as he detailed it, they, they can't help themselves. They're going to go after her faith. Well, gosh, I, I, I sure hope for the good of the country uh, they can help themselves. Uh, the last uh, appearance before the committee uh, when she was nominated for the Seventh Circuit, you just played the clip there. Uh, it turned into a shameful attack on her faith. Any fair look at her life and record would show that she's an extremely qualified, faithful constitutionalist, which is exactly we want what we want from a justice on the highest court of the land. But look, I mean, hundreds of thousands of Hoosiers, millions of Americans are involved in small religious groups, uh, fellowship groups, Bible studies, religious organizations. They take offense to attacks on these important parts of their lives, and it sends the wrong message when we have the United States Senate uh, engaged in uh, sort of a charade where uh, there's even an intimation uh, and we, we went way over that line with Diane Feinstein's comments that uh, one can, on one hand, uh, hold, uh, cling very seriously and, and uh, be very devoted to your Christian beliefs, but on the other hand, would thus be unqualified for the highest uh, office uh, offices in the land. We don't have a religious test in this country. Uh, it's unfortunate I have to say that in 2020, but there is no religious test for high office in this country still. There never should be. Well, this is more of a reverse religious test, that uh, if you have a particular faith, you're disqualified, as opposed to what it was originally where you had to have a particular faith. Here, if you have it, they want uh, there are some that say you're disqualified. Maybe you can be militantly secular, uh, secularist. Uh, maybe you can... Um, uh, confess to taking your faith unseriously. You know, I am Christian, but uh, I don't. I don't really, you know, follow all the teachings and uh, particularly uh, seriously. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm not sure where that line is for each individual senator, but it becomes very dangerous when yeah. uh, you try and draw that line, which is why uh, our framers established a very bright line, which is there shall be no religious test. Yeah, and you, you make a, a good point, Senator Young, that, you know, most of Americans do have, I mean, a majority of Americans have a faith, and that faith means something to them. And, and again, the majority leader pointed that out this morning, how the elites miss it. He said our coastal elites are so disconnected from their own country that they treat religious Americans like strange animals in a menagerie, that, that somehow that we're, you know, they just look at them like, wow, that's odd. But that's really the, that's the majority of America. That's right. That's right. Uh, it informs it informs people's daily lives. Uh, it's what calls us to welcome strangers, love neighbors, care for the least among us. Uh, and uh, the notion that one's faith would disqualify uh, one from sitting on the highest court of the land uh, offends the sensibilities of, of everyone. You don't need to be a constitutional scholar to uh to know that this is wrong. 
And uh, so that is indeed, that is indeed on trial, if you will, over the course of these confirmation hearings, because frankly, one of my colleagues put it on trial. And uh, blessedly, when it came to the Seventh Circuit nomination, we had bipartisan support for Amy Coney Barrett. So if this go around, somehow uh, it, it, uh, it rises to uh, a higher level of, of seriousness. You know, the higher you go within our federal court system, the more scrutiny there will be of one's religious beliefs. That will be especially troubling. So, Senator, uh, that issue aside, what are your you and your colleagues preparing for in terms of the the attacks, the, the efforts that are going to be made to try to stop this confirmation from going forward? Well, you know, their efforts to slow the process down, they will, I believe, fail. But uh, in spite of the fact that so many of my colleagues uh, have been on record supportive of remote hearings, hybrid hearings, where part of the hearings occur through uh, the Internet and some of them occur in person, uh, we, we are now hearing the very same Democrats indicate that they have some objections uh, to that process. One of my colleagues, a Democrat who, who actually sits on the committee, uh, publicly commended Chairman Graham for be willing, being willing to do a hybrid hearing just weeks ago. And I guess now she's on the record being critical of a potential hybrid hearing. So, um, that's that's one potential obstacle is just the boring procedural stuff. We know that Chuck Schumer, regardless of the procedure, would be pressing forward on this. Right. So don't mm-hmm. listen to what they're saying about precedent. Uh, this is firmly grounded in historical precedent uh, about process. This is consistent with uh, the recent process where we've had these virtual hearings. We'll hear efforts to scare the American people, health care, you know, Amy Coney Barrett uh, will will allegedly uh, be desirous of taking away people's health care. And then we'll just perhaps remind uh, the American people that this is a mother of seven children, two of which are special needs. If anyone is acutely aware of the need to have access to health care and to ensure that that health care is uh, affordable, it's Amy Coney Barrett. But her job is not to make policy. Right. And that's that that really is at the bottom of this opposition that the left has to her is that they have been relying on the court for decades to advance their legislative agenda. And with the confirmation, if this goes forward successfully with the uh, the seating of Amy Coney Barrett onto the Supreme Court, it will shift the balance to a court that is no longer an activist court that does the bidding of the left when it comes to their legislative priorities. Yeah, that's right. They'd, they'd like to continue to punt on very difficult public policy issues and then allow a liberal court to referee our most fundamental uh, social, cultural, cultural and economic decisions, which is inconsistent with uh, our way of doing things in, in our separation of powers government. It, uh, it frankly would turn the Supreme Court of the United States, and has from time to time, into a super legislature, which is right. not its role. 
And, so let me, let me uh, ask you this, Senator: Are, are you con, are you convinced that Amy Coney Barrett is one of those just will be one of those justices that is a constitutionalist that is bound by the words that are on the paper of the Constitution? I am. I am. As, as someone who uh, has studied her writings, as somebody who has read some of her cases, and, and is having my staff continue to dive into all her writings, I'm increasingly encouraged that she is what I call a faithful constitutionalist. She's a conservative in the sense that she believes in institutions. And I would add that you erode the credibility of a very important institution, the Supreme Court, if you turn it into a political arm of government. So um, I have great faith that uh, she is going to uh, decide cases in a way consistent with, frankly, the way most of your listeners want, which is applying the law of the land, the Constitution of the United States, and federal statutes to individual cases and occasionally coming up with answers that not even she is comfortable with. And then it's our job as elected officials to change the law. Yeah, absolutely. That's all we want. We, we, we like the Constitution. We want to keep it. Uh, and we don't want people, uh, nine people in black robes, rewriting it every, uh, every so often. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us this afternoon. Great to talk with you. Semper Fi, Marine. Thank you. Out here. All right. Semper Fi. Senator Todd Young of uh, Indiana. Process begins next week in earnest, and we will uh, obviously be tracking it very, very closely. Coming up next, the mayor of Midland, Texas, joins us because one of his residents, who happens to be a senior fellow at the Family Research Council and also the founder of China Aid, has found himself as the target of what appear to be agitators connected with the Communist Party of China. What's that all about? Well, we'll find out next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider and instructor 
a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. Let me remind you again, pray, vote, stand, 8 p.m. Eastern time tonight. All right, many of you know Bob Fu, who's been on the program many times. He is the founder of China Aid and, uh, and now a senior fellow for international religious freedom here at the Family Research Council. He, uh, he was uh, you know, one of the protesters at Tiananmen Square back in 1989. He became a underground house church pastor. He fled China with his wife in 1996 due to religious persecution by the Chinese Communist Party. Came to the country um, and has been set up uh, China Aid, I think, back in 2002. And uh, he lives in uh, in Midland, Texas. Well, uh, this week, um, his his home became the target of what appeared to be uh, agitators connected with the communist China, the, the Chinese Communist Party. Now, what's interesting about me, this, this obviously shows they don't know a whole lot about America uh, because Texas is the last place I think the uh, agitators for the Communist Party would want to show up. Joining me now to uh, to talk more about the situation and give us the latest is the mayor of Midland, Texas, uh, Patrick Payton. Uh, mayor, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, an honor to be with you. I was able to just now pull off the highway so that I don't lose, lose the connection with you. But uh, thanks for having me on the show. Well, absolutely. And I, I, I want to get make sure we have the facts straight on this, is that the, the FBI is uh, apparently investigating this. You have uh, Midland Police Department has provided some security around the property of Bob Fu. But who is targeting him and why? Well, a lot of what our work, uh, the work that's being done is uh, the federal agencies as well as our police department trying to make sure that the people that we suspect being behind this are the people that we suspect being behind it. And right now we think it uh, boils down to this Guao Wenzhou and possibly his group since he's been the one on YouTube and Twitter. Thankfully, those things have been taken down now who have been going after literally Bob Fu's life and posting things very, very dangerous to him and to his family. So from the best that we can tell, uh, he probably has the money behind it, or at least somebody he's connected with um, is funding this. These are definitely, as you put it in your introduction, these are 
professionally trained agitators who have been uh, flown in or bussed in, staying in hotels and then taking buses in the morning over to the food residence and uh, agitating in front of the home as well as irritating the entire neighborhood. So it's just an orchestrated affair that you could really just call a form of, um, I guess you could call it mild domestic terrorism because, um, number one, they're spreading lies. And number two, they're threatening lives and threatening livelihoods as well as um, threatening peaceful neighborhoods. Now, this uh, individual that's uh, apparently bankrolling this or the, the millionaire that uh, has the, uh, the, the the influence, it's called upon his supporters to 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 focus on Bob Fu. He is connected, uh, been a supporter of Xi Jinping. Uh, the the, the mm-hmm. communist president of uh, of China. So there appears to be a connection with the Communist Party. Absolutely, and and that's as you possibly heard during my press conference. What's so ironic about this is somebody who's so connected to the Chinese government making accusations about someone like Bob Fu being a double agent for the Chinese government, the communist government. When all of us who have known Bob and have worked with Bob know that. Uh, even the accusations that uh, Bob travels back and forth to China and Bob bankrolls millions of dollars because of his work with the Chinese Communist Party, it, you have to be completely uninformed or impossibly naive to even think that this holds water when you know what he's done and you know what happens in his life and who he advocates for. And also it's worth pointing out, as you were just having the discussion earlier about the Supreme Court justice and there being no religious test for these higher office, Bob Fu and his organization are not just advocating for freedom of religion and freedom of people to practice religion as they want, but also advocating for people that, quote unquote, don't even hold a faith, but want to have a voice of freedom, whether that's artists, whether that's musicians, or um, people who are protesting communist oppression. So all of this strikes as quite a bit ironic, uh, but dangerous at the same time. So I, I guess I, I'm left. I'm left to assume that it is motivated. I guess because of China aid and Bob Fu's effectiveness of bringing attention to the human rights violations, in particular the religious violations, uh, the religious religious discrimination taking place in China. No, I think you're exactly right. I think that we actually finally have a president in office uh, who has been willing to hold China's feet to the fire that has been willing to point out the fact that uh, some of our major industries here in the United States actually are able to take advantage of the oppression of people and literally what is slave labor. And so when you have someone like Bob Fu, who he's gained a voice and a a reputable voice to speak about these issues, the Chinese government is going to do everything they can uh, to stymie those voices and to lie about those voices. And all of us who have been watching this have been waiting for the day when finally uh, people would begin sort of peeling back the veil so people would understand that China is not just this this innocent country sitting over there uh, in the east doing business with the United States on, on terms that are favorable to all of us, but in fact it is a communist regime responsible for murdering people and oppressing people. And so when people like Bob Fu speak out against it and do everything they can, for religious freedom and freedom of speech and expression, uh, the Chinese are not happy with that. And it comes up with some interesting relationships that we're seeing now that will do everything they can to go out even into West Texas, which you're correct to assume is probably not the smartest place to be if you want to uh, do what they're doing. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me of some of those instructions that don't trans- translate well in the, the Chinese products you buy. Like, you know, you get a, a shirt and it says, don't iron while you're wearing it. You know, they're just not, <laughs> it's not connecting with them as to uh, where they are in uh, in West Texas. Mayor, I want to thank you for joining us today, but also thank you for uh, standing up for one of your citizens. Um, and I, uh, this is... This is the role that local elected officials play. They have a major role to play in things that go way beyond the borders of their own community. So, Mayor, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Mayor Patrick Payton of Midland, Texas. Yeah, I think the, uh, the Chinese uh, Communist Party kind of miscalculated on this one. But you know what? More mayors, more city councils, more state legislatures need to stand up to communist China instead of, uh, you know, in some places where they just kind of fold because they like the Chinese investments. Grateful for folks like that. All right. um, More Washington Watch to come right after this. Don't go away. We're coming back with Hans von Spakalski talking about potential scenarios after Election Day. That's next. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the election is less than a month away. The various campaigns are lawyering up for potential challenges, litigation that may come after the November 3rd election. 
In fact, Nancy Pelosi is uh, preparing, uh, apparently preparing lawmakers for the possibility of an electoral college tie, which would force the House to decide the outcome of the presidential election. It, what might we be facing, given the issues about mail-in balloting, just all the irregularities that are possible? What might we be facing on November 4th, and how might this election ultimately be decided? Join me now to talk about this as Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakowski. Hans, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thanks for having me back. Okay, uh, well, let's start first with Nancy Pelosi sending this memo to, to members uh, about what happens if the Electoral College is tied and the House has to decide they need to make sure that they have uh, a majority of the state delegations to prevail. So let's start with that. How how real of a possibility is that? Well, you know, at the moment, uh, Republicans have a slight edge in control, uh, I think. Um, but uh, that could change in the upcoming election. And what's interesting about this is that uh, under the Constitution, if the selection of the president goes to the House of Representatives because neither candidate has uh, won the 270 electoral college votes needed to be elected. Uh, each state votes, uh, they only get one vote. So that means that the delegations within each state have to uh, vote, and obviously the majority will win as to uh, who that one vote of the state will be placed with, whether it's the Democrat or Republican candidate. So that means the uh, right now, as you mentioned, the Republicans have a slight uh, a slight edge. But would this be the the Congress that is presently seated, or would this be the Congress post January after the new Congress is seated? No, it's the election post January uh, that is seated. So it will be the new Congress that will make this decision. So that uh, that is one of the reasons Nancy Pelosi focusing on some of these congressional races where, right. uh, like Pennsylvania, for instance, where I think the Republicans have a one-seat uh, margin in the majority there, which could make uh, you know a significant difference in the way the House votes. So let's talk about some of the other possibilities, some of the scenarios that we might be facing on November the 4th if the election is not decided on the 3rd. Well, the other thing that may happen is there may be a long delay, if it's a close election, in knowing the outcome because uh, the progressive left, election officials, state officials are all, I think, very unwisely uh, pushing as many people to vote by mail, uh, by absentee ballots, as possible. And there's two problems with that. One, um, Election officials just probably may not be uh, equipped to handle the processing of all those absentee ballots. Um, just look at what happened in New York State. They held a primary on June 23rd. They had an exponential increase in absentee ballots because they were encouraging everyone to do that. New York officials, uh, election officials, weren't uh, weren't in a position to handle that appropriately, and so it took them, if you can believe this, only six weeks, six weeks to count the ballots. So if we have that same problem in the November election, but in multiple states, it could be quite a while. The other problem that, again, might cause um, a dispute is the fact that uh, New York State election officials rejected 
so many of the absentee ballots that came in for not complying with state law and other mistakes and errors that they, they in essence, rejected one of every five ballots. Naturally, what immediately happened was litigation. Lawsuits were filed disputing the right of the election officials to reject those ballots. Again, we might have the same thing happen uh, uh, post the November election, which, again, could delay results and cause a court fight uh, over the the results uh, and outcome in particular states. So, Hans, how much time did the states have? I mean, Normally, the president seated in January, but if we don't have the results in, I mean, how long could that go on? Well, they're supposed to have their results by the first week in December, because the first week in December is when uh, the electors actually meet in each state, um, and states have to determine which slate of electors should be the ones meeting, the ones that pledged their vote for the Republican candidate. I think we may have lost him. Yeah, they've got to get they've yeah. got to get this done by by the beginning of December. So, but if it's protracted, like you said in New York, and they can't seat the electors because they haven't been able to count all the votes, what happens? Well, we might get to January with uh, most of the states counted and most of the electoral college votes awarded, but we may have enough states still outstanding that we still don't know the outcome of the presidential election. And it's just, it's on pause until all of that's counted and dis- and uh, determined? If there's no outcome determined by January 20th, a federal law uh, uh, comes into play which says that the acting president, until the election is determined, shall be the Speaker of the U.S. House. Interesting. Hans, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have to talk more about this uh, later. Hans von Spakowski with uh, Heritage Foundation. You hear that? Hmm. All right, when we come back, Terry Jeffrey with CNSNews.com joins us. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. 
2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. This evening, 8 p.m., Pray Vote Stand. Take on public education and what the Democrat Party platform has in store if Joe Biden succeeds in uh, his election, which prompts me to say, have you taken the challenge, the challenge to pray, vote, and stand? You can do so. Go to TonyPerkins.com and take the challenge and then share that with somebody else. All right, you remember, I mentioned this at the top of the program, you remember Kim Davis, the courageous Kentucky clerk of court, who was jailed for her Christian faith because she said her faith would not allow her to issue a same-sex wedding license. And I actually went to Kentucky, visited her when she was in jail. Now, she was later sued by the same-sex couple, and she appealed to the Supreme Court for qualified immunity, uh, they declined to hear the case this week. But uh, while the court didn't take the case, two justices issued a statement, didn't need to do it, but they did it, and it has the left all worked up. Why? Well, joining us now to talk about it, editor-in-chief of CNSNews.com, Terry Jeffrey. Terry, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, thanks for having me on. Now, you wrote about this in a piece, which, by the way, folks, you can uh, you can read it at cnsnews.com or I've got a link at tonyperkins.com. All right. Um, did I get the facts of the case right? Yes, a- absolutely, Tony. And uh, this goes back to the 2015 case of Obergefell v. Hodges, which was the case in which five members of the Supreme Court, including Anthony Kennedy, who wrote the opinion, declared that the 14th Amendment created a quote-unquote right to same-sex marriage, which, of course, was an absurd decision. And the four justices who dissented on that included the late Antonin Scalia, Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Clarence Thomas, and Justice Alito. And in their opinions, 
uh, Scalia, Thomas, and Alito warned very clearly that one of the implications of Obergefell versus Hodges was be that the government would be going after the religious liberty of Americans to try them, to make them complicit and acceptive of same-sex marriage, which, as you mentioned, is exactly what they did to Kim Davis shortly after the case came out. As you said, they even put her in jail. And what we found out this week is that there were not four members of the Supreme Court right now who were even willing to hear her case in the Supreme Court. But we did have two justices that made a comment that the left is all worked up about because they basically once again resurrected those same issues from 2015, saying that religious freedom and those Americans who hold those views are at risk. Right. Clarence Thomas uh, issued a statement along, you know, when the court indicated that it hadn't granted certain in the Kim Davis case. And uh, he was joined in that statement by Alito. The statement was written by Clarence Thomas. And what Thomas basically did is he went back and said, what we wrote in Obergefell was correct. And here we see a person, Kim Davis, who's, he, as he put it, as a result of this court's alteration of the Constitution, this is a direct quote from Clarence Thomas. Davis found herself faced with a choice between her religious beliefs and her job. And, of course, Kim Davis chose her religious beliefs. They threw her in jail. Her case went to the Supreme Court. And it is a very interesting thing, I'll say, that, uh, you know, with uh, obviously the Amy Coney Barrett nomination waiting confirmation in the United States Senate. We're coming up on a presidential election. The fact that the court did not want to take this up now, uh, I think, raises the question of whether there's five votes on the court that would protect the religious liberty of Kim Davis. Well, the left apparently is concerned because, you know, the, the cancel culture who just jumps on someone with all four if they raise any question about the fact that religious liberty should take a higher priority than uh, their sexual um, rights or whatever they want to do. They want to say that this is settled. Obergefell, it's done, settled, can't touch it again. This would suggest that there are some in the court that could possibly revisit this. Yes, it does suggest that. And, uh, it obviously, we have we have no doubt from what Justice Thomas wrote that Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito are ready to roll back Obergefell, and um, you know I think a measure of the intensity of the left on this is the fact of the matter is in Kentucky any gay couple, any same-sex couple that wants to get a marriage license, even if Kim Davis would not personally give one to them, could go over to the next county a few miles away and get one from another county clerk that was operable anywhere in the state of Kentucky. So this was never an issue of whether or not, quote-unquote, same-sex couples would be allowed to get married in Kentucky. The question was over inflicting a price on Kim Davis for having the moral courage to stand by her religious beliefs. And all also to force that issue back to the Supreme Court because they want to use the court because they know they can't use the legislatures. They don't have the votes. They want to use the courts to take away our religious liberty, which has been one of the greatest fights in our country over the last decade. 
And Terry, the same applies to not just Kim Davis as a clerk of court where they could have gone to another county and gotten a license. It's the same thing with the, with the bakers and the wedding photographers. They, they could go next door and get another baker. They could go down the street and another photographer. But that's not the point. The point is this there is a there is an effort here to force to force religious practice underground uh, in order for those on the left. And, I, and you know, and this is this is all a part of the Marxist agenda. And I'm not saying that the LGBTQ community is, but this is where they lock arms together, because once churches, once faith is out of the way, uh, it, it just it it paves a path forward for a, a, as Barack Obama would say, fundamentally changing this country? Without question, Tony. And, you know, I, I would say that on one level it does compare to the Cold War and the battle against communism. Whitaker Chambers in a straight book witness wrote in the beginning of it, in a part called The Letter to My Children, that there really was one battle in human history. It was those who believed in God and his laws and thought that all individuals and nations must follow those laws and those who believed man could make their own laws. And people who believe that there's a quote-unquote right not only to engage in homosexual activity but to have homosexual marriage and even surrender children into homosexual households under adoption laws are, are, are in fact, violating the laws of God and the natural law. And what they want to do is say to people who are willing to act as Christians or to follow God's law, follow the natural law, that if you do that, if you act according to your conscience, we will persecute you, we will throw you in jail, we will fight you all the way to the Supreme Court. That is what this – it's at the very absolute core of what our nation and civilization is about. Yes, and, I mean, we're seeing that in this Supreme Court confirmation. They're attacking Judge Barrett's faith, basically saying that because of her Catholic faith that she's disqualified for the court. Some are making that argument. But I want to point something out here, Terry, unless I've missed it, uh, going back to the Supreme Court and and the statement by uh, Justice Thomas, uh, joined by Alito, the the, the LGBTQ community, HRC, and and all of those uh, groups that promote homosexuality, uh, same-sex marriage, the redefinition of marriage, they've jumped on this, and the press has given uh, a platform for their voices but I don't see the media giving a counter view to that. Um, they they only give one side now. Without question. I mean, without question. In fact, I, I mean, I think that if you, um, if they suspected you of holding the views that they think Amy Coney Barrett has, they would not give you a job as a journalist in an establishment media organization. I mean, the, the establishment media in this country is a voice for the left. And I believe the left is what I just described it as. They, it's a, they are fighting against people who believe in God, people who believe in God's law, and people who believe that the laws of the United States should be consistent with that law, which is, of course, what the founders of this country believed. It's a very fundamental fight, and the media is on the wrong side, and these liberal organizations that are going to fight Amy Coney Barrett and who want the Supreme Court to rule against Ken Davis are on the other side. So, Terry, Jeffrey, here's the uh, and I know you, you come from the you've been in the media for a long, long time. Um, and, and so this is the sixty four thousand dollar question, I guess, with inflation. This would be the million million dollar question. <laughs> How do we as conservatives, knowing that the elitists in the media do not represent the American people, have hostile views toward them? How can the American people respond to this? W- what do we need to be doing? 
Well, your radio shows is one response, Tony. I think we need alternative media. I, my, I started out back in the 1980s at the Washington Times, which was a conservative newspaper, on their editorial page with some other people. But it was one of the few places where conservative journalists could work in Washington, D.C. back then. Since then, there's been an expansion of alternative, especially with the Internet, of alternative mm-hmm. places where conservatives can report and express their views. And personally, I think it's very important for conservatives to continue adding to these sources that will actually investigate and report to people what's going on actually in the government and in Washington, D.C. Like you said, the liberal media doesn't want to tell you what's really at stake and what's really going on in the Kim Davis case. And uh, there, there are so many other things happening in Washington where the establishment in the city are attacking or going after the fundamental rights of American people that the liberal media wants to see the government win. They don't want to stop the government. They don't want to inhibit the government. But they know that if they expose it and tell people about it, that you'll get grassroots movement against that action by the government. So I think, you know, we've seen a growth of alternative conservative media. The more it grows, the better. Yeah, and the investigative side where we're not just, um, you know, parroting what's out there, but like cnsnews.com, the work that you guys do uncovering a lot of especially where the government's spending its money and uh, the priorities that they're putting forward like all of that is is important but i, I also think where the, the trump tenure in the last 4 years now i it, it started i saw it start with barack obama where the left and the media started kind of taking off the mask and it was clear that they were advocating for barack obama but i think it's accelerated during Donald Trump, but they've become a part of the opposition party. And I, I'm always, I, 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 just, I don't watch them anymore. I don't watch cable news. I don't uh, rarely read uh, some of these, um, you know, lame, the, the, the media, the mainstream media. So I, I do go to those alternative sources, but I think part of it is just turning them off so that they, they can't claim they're driving people to their, uh, their, their ad revenue. You know, I I absolutely completely agree with you, Tony. One of the very few times I'm going to turn on a regular television station will be tonight to watch Mike Pence defeat Kamala Harris in the vice presidential debate. I will watch that. But I think watching those TV channels, reading the uh, mainstream newspapers, I mean, sometimes I do it just to get a sense of what a joke they are. I mean, if you take a look at the major newspapers in the United States today, they do not report hard news stories. They have what they call analysis or essentially opinion in their lead stories and their front page stories. I mean, it really is, quite frankly, a joke. So I agree with you. Don't read their papers. I mean, to contradict myself just a moment, I, I, I do look at the AP in the morning. Um, I, I kind of get the alert in my uh, email inbox. I don't pay for it, but I get it. And, and you're absolutely right. Their lead stories are more like opinion pieces, and they have gotten more so, where it's almost all about attacking Donald Trump, conservative ideas, and principles. Yes. You know, and uh, I've even noticed, quite frankly, on the news radio in here in the Washington, D.C. area where I live, 
which used to try and be somewhat straightforward. Now they, they have the same sort of uh, Trump hysteria that all the liberal media yeah. does. And everything they say is, is an attack on President Trump and is, is, is twisted against President Trump. I mean, it's, it's really quite remarkable. I think, you know, there might be an ironic benefit to it and that so many people watching and listening to this stuff Maybe four years ago, they might have had some open mind about what they were seeing in the establishment media. Now they know it's an absolute joke. Forget it. Ignore it. I, I, I think you're right. I was actually being interviewed by the New York Times yesterday. A reporter was talking to me, and I said, look, every time you guys attack President Trump, you just solidify his support among conservatives because they're the same people that are attacked by your ideas, and, and, and you, you, you are dismissive of them. And, and they see Donald Trump as standing between them and the, the forces of the left, the, the elitist. And so every time you hit him, uh, it, it, there's a sympathetic response. They want to yep. uh, support him. And, and, it, and it's so blatantly obvious. I mean, it really is. And it's quite remarkable how out of tune they are. And I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't looked at the actual ratings. Occasionally I see headlines talking about the ratings going down. But if their ratings are going down, it doesn't surprise me at all. I don't know why a regular American yeah. would care to look at what they're doing. And, you know, I'd rather watch the uh, baseball playoffs or now that we have football back, I'd rather watch football. I'm glad they're playing college football. That gives you something to watch that's worth I'd, watching. Well, I'd rather just read a good book. Uh, okay. <laughs> Terry Jeffrey, Terry Jeffrey, it was always great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. And and folks, cnsnews.com, it is a good source. Uh, it's a trusted source. So make sure you use trusted sources. And, of course, Washington Watch is one of those as well. And our ratings are going up because of you. So uh, keep sharing the news about Washington Watch. And, uh, again, let me remind you, coming up, 8 p.m., Pray, Vote, Stand, one of those alternative sources for good, solid information. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.